Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Stephen Pressfield. Stephen has wrote, written many seminal classics, including The Legend of Bagger Vance and my favorite book, or at least in my top five, The War of Art. If you are an entrepreneur, an artist, a creative, um, a spiritual-minded person, this is going to be an epic conversation for you. This is all about breaking through the barriers in our minds to become who we were born to be. And Stephen is a very, very unique blend. Uh, Honestly, there are very few guests I've been more excited to have on the show. And I was elated that he uh, said yes to the interview. Um, He says yes to very few interviews. Uh, I mean, he's been on Oprah, Joe Rogan, and Marie Forleo, not not many other podcasts. So it was a real treat to have him. And uh, I don't think it'll be our last conversation. I, I was blown away. It's chock full of insights that I think you can get a lot of actionable value from. If you do one thing uh, and you have not yet read The War of Art, read The War of Arts. It's an incredible, incredible book. But we'll go through a great many uh, aspects of the book in this episode. We talk about resistance. We talk about turning pro and what that means and how you can use turning pro as, as sort of a mind vehicle to shift into your next level up. Uh, we talk about the muse and inspiration and where inspiration comes from. <clears throat> I think you'll get a tremendous amount of value during the episode, and uh, honestly, it's one of my favorites. So with that, this episode, I'm trying something a little bit different. Um, this episode, I would love if you are loving the podcast to please go and leave us a rating and review. And I'm going to bring more content because we are in a particular uh, moment in time where I think a lot of people are looking for inspiration. A lot of people are having challenges that are caused by this pandemic, uh, which is happening while I record the episode. And so I want to really just bring on the best quality guests. I'm not worrying about sponsors. I'm really trying to bring a ton of content out there. So one of the ways that I can get better and better guests is through ratings and reviews and demonstrating, you know, the, the passionate nature of our audience. So you could go ahead and leave a rating review. I'd greatly appreciate it. And this episode is brought to you by my my uh, newsletter. So for those who are interested, uh, I've got you know tens of thousands of people on there uh, and would love to have you on if you're not yet signed up. You can just go to peakmind.org. I send out a once-a-week brief email, which is entirely oriented around giving you unique, insightful, profound um, truths. Links to things that I'm finding intriguing, interesting, um, links to the podcast, things that I find that I share nowhere else, uh, I send through to my newsletter audience. And I've been getting incredible feedback. Lots of you are writing me. I love the ability to reply to messages. And it's really just chuck full of value. Uh, I won't mention names, but there's some very, very powerful uh, people on that list. And I didn't quite realize it until one week I took some time off and uh, a very well-known figure uh, said, hey, I'm loving the emails. You know, what's going on? So I think that uh, I know that I put my heart and soul into them. Uh, If you like the podcast, I think you'll really get a lot of value out of the emails. Uh, You can pop on again, peakmind.org. And without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome the one and only Stephen Pressfield. 
All right, let's go. Let's go. All right, I'm here with uh, Stephen Pressfield. Stephen, it's, uh, it's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me, Michael. I just had a little mouthful of tea there. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. I got Thanks my I, I got my coffee right next to me as well. No, it's it's <laughs> honestly uh, it's a pleasure. I, I I read your work for the first time. One of my actually my best friend on the planet gave me uh, the War of Art when I was shall we say caught in a period of resistance, which I think many of uh-huh. us <laughs> can can relate to. And I went back and actually revisited. Uh, it's been dog-eared uh, and 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 worn up. Because I've reread it so many times, but I wanted to really, uh, you know, ground into some of the tenets that you talk about in the War of Art, and I thought we would start with resistance. And I, I know these are your words, but um, you know what I loved is the way you broke down sort of resistance's greatest hits, and I'll just read a few of them, and then have you kind of give a give a def- your definition of resistance, if you will. But you said basically that in no particular order, uh, resistance uh, occurs in the pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative arts, the launch of any entrepreneurial venture, any diet or health regimen, any program of spiritual development, basically any, any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals, any, any pursuit which, I, as, I are, as I would distill it, requires us to raise higher in ourself and almost to step into a place of discipline is, is sort of my read. But could you define for us, uh, what do you mean when you, when you say resistance? Well, as a writer, the, the first, any writer will relate to this. It, when you sit down and roll a blank piece of paper into the typewriter or a blank screen on your, on your computer screen, you feel this negative force radiating off the keyboard that is telling you to go have a hot fudge sundae or go surfing or go back to bed, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's this force that, this negative force that wants to stop you from doing your work and wants to stop you from finding your calling or being who you were meant to become. It's like, it's the devil. You know, and uh, uh, it took me many years to sort of give it a name for myself, but uh, that's what it is. Anytime you're trying to move from from a lower level to a higher level, ethically, morally, creatively, spiritually, resistance is going to try to block you and prevent you from doing it. If you're going the opposite direction, it's a free pass. You can go anywhere you want (laughs) if you want to, you know. You want to drop into the hot fudge Sunday existence in his life. Yes. So ostensibly, if you want to drop into the hot fudge Sunday or any of the things that we do to indulge uh, our 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 ego, it's uh, it's free pass. But when we want to actually ascend into the things that are uh, associated with our higher self, which we'll go into a little bit later, that is that is where the where where resistance lies. It, it's it's sort of the sit down to try to meditate. Sit down on that cushion, and there it is. Yeah. Well, in your estimation, uh, you've been on the planet slightly longer than I have, but we've both been on for a little bit of time here. Um, does resistance go anywhere? Uh, in other words, like a monk that could perhaps get better at choir, uh, quieting the inner voice after years of practice, does, is resistance still alive and well for you, or is there a way in which to uh, quiet the resistance? It never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bad That's news. That's the bad news. Yeah. Uh, the only, the good news is, I think, like like anything, beating your head into the wall or whatever. After you've done it enough times, at least you know you've done it in the past, yeah. and so you know it becomes 
it becomes a little bit easier that way, but it never goes away. I think it's a it's a force of nature. Like, does gravity ever go away? You know, does uh, the passage, does the moon ever go away? No, it never does. It's always there. It's, you got to fight the dragon every day. I'm sure Laird Hamilton would say the same thing or anybody that has to, you know, get up and do it. Yeah, you said uh, you said in the book a quote from actually the, the gentleman with whom I launched Peak Mind, uh, the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, which is the enemy is a very good teacher. And I thought yes. that that was really appropriate because the, the more we try to, you know, have something go away, uh, the more in, in a way we're feeding that resistance, I feel like. And it's actually in that dance. You, you talked about another uh, analogy of sort of the, the, the centrality of the of the enemy to a, to a great film or a great motion picture. In essence, like that, that's an essential character. So if you if you change your relationship to it instead of um, trying to quiet a loud voice, I feel like um, you can start to dance with it. And this is, these are sort of my own words playing off some of the analogies uh-huh. you use. But I, uh-huh. but, I, but I like the idea of that dance. And um, is there, have, have there been ways that you found particularly effective? And in the end, I may be setting myself up here, but for a, a, an effective dance with resistance. In other words, how, how is a writer who's now written, I think, 13 books... So, so has definitely encountered and played with and danced with resistance. How have you been able to do so effectively when you have been effective? Um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into this the whole concept of turning pro and the idea of uh, of of, uh, of mental toughness and of simply, you know, the thing about resistance is that uh, we give it its power by being afraid of it. Mm. So. It's one of those things that sort of go poof if you if you ignore it and you just kind of walk straight through it. So um, it's like, did you ever see Forbidden Planet, the movie with I Walter seen Pigeon? It. Oh, you got to put that on your list. For All me. right, it's on. But it's uh, so I, I won't go to a big long thing about that in that case. But um, to me, I don't know if it's a, it's a dance. It's it's a battle to me, mm. and. Uh, the the only way forward is kind of straight through it, you know. Yeah. But the thing of it is, is that uh, uh, it's like that Nike thing of just do it, or um, you know, once you sit down and actually start to work, it goes away. Yeah. So that's. But it takes it just the recognition of it in the first place that that it exists in the first place is kind of nine tenths of the battle, I think. Yeah, the, the it's, old... it's the acknowledging. You know what it is, Michael. It's like resistance usually takes the form of a voice in your head, mm. right? That's how you hear it. If you're meditating or if you're writing or whatever it is, and the voice says something like, "You suck. You're unworthy. How dare you? You know, sit down and try to make this movie or create this podcast or or do anything out of it. It's been done before. A million people have done it better than you've ever done it. You're a loser. You're a bum. You're too fat. You're too old. You're too thin. You're too ugly. Whatever. Right? That's the yeah. voice. And we. And we all, and I can tell from the thousands of emails I've got, the voice in our heads, everybody has the exact same voice. <laughs> so, you know, although it, it caters to us personally and, and, and picks out our own personal foibles. But um, the mistake that we make when we hear that voice in our head is we think it's our, our own thoughts. Mm. We think, oh, that's me thinking. I'm thinking gee, I'm really not worthy. I'm really not worthy to do this. You know, it really has been done. It's not our voice. That's sort of the trick to the whole thing. It's not our voice. It's resistance. It's this other thing. 
And if we ignore it, it'll go away. It's we, in other words, we give it its power by believing that it's really we're really thinking those thoughts, mm. but we're not. Is, don't they say in meditation that you're just supposed to sort of let the thoughts cross your mind like clouds that yeah. sort of pass right through and, and not fight them, right? Just, yes. You know, they're just chatter, right? And, and I think that's, that's, what, that's the nature of this thing. We endow it with power by, by believing in it and by fearing it. Yeah, I, I'm going to – my interpretation that has been most empowering for me of the way that you talk both about resistance as well as when you, when you get into the concept of the muse and, and is, is that ostensibly in a way it's, it's almost like we're vessels. And when we're – and that resistance isn't really us. It's, it's a particular voice in this creative tension and that the muse isn't – in a way, is also trying to work through us as a vessel when we're most effectively in a relationship to it. And so actually getting out of your own way, which I think is I can relate as my biggest struggle. I mean, you talk about the podcast, and I've related this to my audience before. I mean, I, I started recording this podcast five, five or six years ago. I didn't launch it till uh, a little over a year ago because of my own voice of resistance. Oh, you know, like how oh, can really? you, Oh, yeah. How can you go from global... And what form did that take, Michael? What was the voice in your head? What was it saying? Oh, my God. Oh, so many things. Uh, so uh, without going into great detail, <laughs> but before, before this, I launched a music festival that wound up being quite successful. Uh, you know, without going into great detail, we've, we've raised billions of dollars, hosted Jay-Z, Beyonce, folks like that. So I, my conversation conversation in my head was how can you go from hosting Jay-Z and Beyonce on on this, on a stage in in the Great Lawn in Central Park to some dude in his living room Skyping or having a chat with someone you know uh-huh. like if my ego my ego was like that's a massive step down so for 4 uh-huh. years even though I love it like I was so excited for example for this conversation the fact that some of the folks that I would almost call artistic heroes like yourself actually are willing and able and desire to have a designated one-on-one conversation, which in these days is a real, is a real commodity, right? To get someone's undivided attention for an hour plus is, 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 is an incredible uh, opportunity. Um, but the conversation to get to it in my head was, you're, that's a massive step down. No one will listen. No one will show up. Don't do that. Uh-huh. Like, it's a massive, like, you're, 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 like you're, you're not going up the ladder in the climbing uh, for, for the ego. You're going down the ladder. And so it wasn't until, uh, and I've relayed the story before, but it wasn't until, interesting enough, I took myself on a date, uh, kind of an artist date in the Julia Cameron sense to go see Fleetwood Mac. And I was watching this performance, uh, and it was a tribute because the guitarist for Tom Petty was playing. And I, Tom Petty's one of my favorite artists. I'd always wanted to go see uh-huh. him, but I always put it off. I was like, oh, no, I'll go check him out next year. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. in that moment, I realized tomorrow's not promised. There may be no uh-huh. ne- there may be no next year, and I'm going to start singing my song. And if two people show up, two people show up. Fortunately, way more than two people show up. But it was that uh-huh. moment where I was like, okay, it was actually that that in the stoic sense, memento mori, you know, live as if death is, <laughs> death is on your door, where I was like, I'm launching. And it's been, uh, I won't go into great detail because it's not about me, uh-huh. but it's been a great gift in my life. Um, and so, but it took, it took me to make that commitment in, for myself to turn pro, and and in doing so, with the podcast at least, I've been unequivocally committed. You know, it's like week in, week out, I'm doing the podcast. It's not it's not a question uh-huh. about it. Um, uh-huh. 
but but it, it it the resistance oftentimes is still there. I mean, I still get nervous before I chat with folks, uh, and I still and I love it every time I'm finished. So it's it's uh, I know I know that in, in that way I know it's an authentic part of my own artistic expression. But uh. but when I'm effective is when I'm a vessel, right? Not like uh. I've got five pages of notes. It's actually okay. Actually, stop the notes. Let me be in conversation with this human. I've done my preparation, and when I'm most effective in creating a great interview, it's when I'm in the listening, you know, and and, and actually like like being properly in, in in what I would call a dance with the person ah. I'm speaking with. Ah, well, let me just jump in to say one thing now. When Please. I don't know about your career, and so I can't really. You'll have to tell me if this is true. But it's, this is sort of the diabolicalness of resistance that the voice had said to you was this is a step down going to the podcast from doing your music stuff. Right. Yeah. But I could tell just from we've only met for like three minutes that this is really a step up. Yeah. This is really a step to your deeper self. I could tell from the smile on your face that you're really in the moment. And this is this means something to your soul. This is for real. Yes. So even though the the payoff in terms of money or adulation or whatever is 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 not a step up, but in creative terms and in soul terms, it is a step up. But resistance was so subtle and so diabolical that it came up with this idea, oh, this is a step down for you, because it knew that that would shake you up the most. Yes. Right? That that would make you say, oh, shit, I better not do this if it's just, you know, who wants to take a step down? So it's resistance is like it never goes away and it just gets more subtle and more diabolical as it goes along. It's, it's interesting. It knows your weak spots, right? It knows your soft spots yeah. and it hits you right yeah. where it counts. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you, you talk also, which I think is really interesting because I'm now embarking on and, and I think actually, uh, you know, we're recording this amidst uh, a global pandemic in the form of the coronavirus. And we don't need to go deeply into that. But I've, I'm choosing to, uh, obviously, there's, uh, this is not to make light of it in any way, shape, or form. I'm choosing to utilize it as a time of no excuses because we're all bound to our home. And so I've been thinking about uh, writing a book now for many years, and I have my own resistance conversation around uh-huh. it. But I've now embarked on it. And now I'm in the, in the beginning of that journey, but you talk about stages of resistance and how, you know, t- as you get towards the end, resistance gets even trickier in its, in its ways. Uh-huh. So can, can you articulate for the audience kind of h- how does resistance kind of move through various stages? Well, it's certainly like if you think about uh, writing a book, that yes. you're doing now. There are absolutely predictable points where resistance is going to, you know, spike. Mm-hmm. You know, just like if we were in a sailboat and we were going from, you know, here to Tahiti, we'd know that there's a certain band of storms at a certain point and a certain place where we might be becalmed and stuff like that. And so, like, for instance, before we start, it's like one of the prime places of resistance. Some people, I myself too, are stuck in that place for years, right? Where we have an idea, we just never do it. We can't even start. Right? Yeah. Then, usually, once we once we start, we get kind of a tailwind and we get kind of excited. Wow, we actually wrote four pages today, and now we're doing eight pages, and pretty, you know. And then we get like maybe to the end of what you might call Act One of whatever it is you're doing it, which would be sort of the equivalent if you're a sailor. You've gone out of sight of land. You can't see the shore anymore, but you don't know where you're, where you can't see the other side either. And then we sort of have a, 
a moment of panic at that point. Oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? You know, I should let me go back and make sure the land is still there. You know, but then we kind of get a second wind and we go and then kind of usually in the middle of something like Act Two is always famous. I'm sure you know this is for like where you totally bogged down in a quagmire of you're not at the end. You're not at the beginning. You can't see the end. You say to yourself, why did I ever start this? Whoever told me I should have done that's that kind of thing. Yeah. And then right before the end is like the, the classic spot where resistance really will, will raise it because it, it senses that you're about to defeat it, you know? Yeah. And the, the example I use in, in The War of Art is the story of Odysseus, you know, from the Odyssey where he, they were within shore, within sight of shore of Ithaca after 10 years at sea. And the famous thing about the bag of winds that he had on the deck and blah, blah, blah. The crew opens the bag and the wind blows them back every mile that they've passed. You know? <laughs> so right before the end. And then there's another spot that's really predictable. And that is right after we've done right after you're done, mm. because then you start to think, do I dare show this to anybody? You know, right. and do I dare? How can I? This is for me. This is a real big one for me. How am I going to actually promote this sucker? You know, and a lot of people get something done and they just can't in Seth Godin's phrase, they can't ship it, you know? Yep. They're afraid to put it out there where it's gonna get where it's gonna get feedback. So any so yes, there are all those predictable, but it's like for me, it's kinda like when you run a marathon and they tell you at whatever it is, mile twenty two, you hit the wall, right? That's the point when the glycogen in your cells runs out and everybody hits hit the, the wall, wall at that point. Yep. But if you if you know you know, that that's coming. Then when you feel that terrible crash, you say, oh, okay, that's just the glycogen. You know, it's gone. Now my my body has to shift over to start burning fat. So if I just keep running for another 100 yards, 200 yards, 400 yards, I'll find, I'll get my second win. So it is great to, to know about those points that are going to come up. When you get to the middle of your book, Michael, the shit's going to hit the fan. You know, trust me. And, <laughs> So you better be ready for it. Yeah, well, I'm preparing. I mean, it, 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 like you said, every day is a battle. I mean, it's 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 fascinating to me um, the ways in which uh, my resistance is showing up. Um, but what I will say, and I and I really liked uh, about the way you approach things is is I could tell you were, you were a marine at one time, and my and my father was in the service, and my grandfather was in the service. Um, and the notion of kind of uh, actually, you have a quote which I love. You said uh, the years the, the years have taught me one skill: how to be miserable, how to shut up and keep humping. This is the greatest asset because it's human, the proper role for a mortal. And 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 you say basically the Marine Corps taught you one invaluable skill, which is which is t- to be miserable, and that that is invaluable to the artist. And it evoked for me. I, I don't know if David Goggins. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He he, he just wrote a book. Actually, I just have his book right now. The what is it? Can't hurt me. Is Can't that hurt me. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. occurred to me. I was like when I was reading. I was like, you and him would have the most fascinating conversation because he he's kind of like I think you're. I almost think of you as kind of this old school, no bullshit uh, approach to personal development and 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 I really resonated with that and and this kind of is a little bit of a segue into your your concept of turning pro but when I was super super uh, resistant to the process of just doing the book which I've been thinking about talking about I mean literally had offers from two agents a year ago and still hadn't 
uh, submitted the proposal. Um, I read your chapter again about turning pro, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm committed." Like, and I and I and I declared it in a way that was scary as hell for me. I was like, "All right," I told everyone I know I'm doing it because I now I'm turning the force of I don't want to look bad on myself. Right, <laughs> the whole thing of like pushing a book out is I have fear of looking bad or whatever the fear, judgments, all the things that you just discussed. Right, right. But now once I say I do it. I'm turning that fear, hopefully putting that wind in my sails because now it's like, all right, and I'm not saying I will not experience the resistance. Obviously, I will, <laughs> but, I, but I'm now committed to turning pro. So can you, for the audience's sake, kind of articulate what that notion is? Um, okay, let me see if I can do this. Um, you know, usually when we, when we have a dream, like writing a book or whatever it is, and we fail at it, you know, we start and we we you know we drop the ball we screw it up whatever we usually get down on ourselves in in one of two ways you know one of the things is we say uh we're there's something wrong with us we've uh, we're sick in some way you know we have, there's some something happened when we were in childhood you know uh it, it's sort of the therapeutic model you know we kind of say to ourselves well we have to get well and then you know then we'll be able to do it or another way we do it is sort of the, the Catholic Jewish way is we say we're wrong, right? We've committed yes. a sin. We've done some terrible sin, and now we have to kind of do but do penance before we can go forward. But what's what's crippling about either of those ways, ways is their, their self-judgments. We're down on ourselves, and we're kind of whipping ourselves and pissing on ourselves, you know? Mm. And that's not helpful at all. So to me, it took me a million years to figure this out. A third way to look at it is maybe we're failing because we're thinking of like amateurs. Mm. We're, we're, we're weekend warriors. Mm. We're dabblers. We're just messing around. And so the, what's great about looking at it that way, and first of all, I think it's true, is that there's no judgment. There's no self-judgment there. You know, it's just, a, it's just a mistake that we're sort of made in our minds. But we can, if we can throw the switch in our head, and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to look at this as a professional. So like this morning when I don't want to go to work, you know, I don't, let's say I'm a basketball player mm-hmm. and I don't want to go to the gym and I don't want to work on that turnaround jump shot from the corner. I say to myself, what would Kobe Bryant do? Yeah. You know, would he, he's a pro or was a pro, you know, or LeBron James or pick anybody else. They're not going to, you know, not be there. They're not going to accept any excuse at all. And, uh, so to look at yourself as a professional it's it's just it's an amazing shift in the mind, isn't it? I mean, when you do that, you and it's free too. That's the other great thing. You know, yeah. you don't have to pay any money to anybody. Nobody has to stamp a certificate or anything like that. You just say, "I'm a pro." In fact, I knew a a, a woman a few years ago, and she took up golf at like age thirty. You know, and I had and she said, "Oh yeah, I started playing golf." You know, and I went to, I, I went to play with her one time, and I met her at the, this golf course. She had been playing for like maybe three weeks, and she came out and she was totally decked out, beautiful, had the visor, had the beautiful clothes and everything, and she was a terrible. You know, she was just <laughs> ranking it. But she said to me, "You know what?" She said, "Steve, I'm just I thought I said I'm going to think of myself as a professional. I am a professional golfer." And you know what? Within like eight months, she was playing pretty good golf. So th- that's the sort of the, the whole concept of of thinking of yourself as a professional and asking yourself, what would a professional do in this moment? Would a professional crap out? Mm-hmm. Would a you know would a professional uh, you know yield to adversity and 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 uh, take the day off or whatever it is? And uh, I always say amateurs have amateur habits. 
and professionals have professional habits. And that's another another big aspect of it is those habits are completely different. Yeah, fundamentally different. And I think that sh- what's interesting is the, the, sh- the mindset shift and the commitment. Um, one of the things, for, first elements, like that notion of turning uh, pro, for me at least, was the, was the actual commitment and, and, the, and the actual accountability of committing to it publicly, not just inside, because I feel like a lot of times we lose integrity with ourselves if we make a commitment and then don't fulfill it. Um, uh-huh. And I like that, you, you know, many of the listeners, I'm sure, know it. You include the, the, um, the William Hutchinson Murray quote where it says, you know, whatever you can do or dream, you can begin it because boldness has a genius and a power within it. And, yeah. and I think once you sort of do make that commitment in the same style as we are a vessel, in my belief, then that providence does start to come in. But as you said, it, I feel like the degree to which you're committed, this is my own interpretation, is almost the degree to which you are feeding that muse. It, it's, like, it's like it will come to your aid and assistance but you have to show up time and again, day in, day out, for it to for that wind to continue to pick up in the sails. And 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 to take it a little bit back to sort of the military uh, analogy, what I, one of the things I loved is you you said basically that you know the, the 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 artist, if you will, understands that the field alters every day. His goal is not victory, but to handle himself, his insides, as sturdily and steadily as he can. And I think that's so valuable because so many people are always thinking about victory. And to me, at least in my interpretation, what you're saying is the victory actually isn't the end game. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the showing up day in, day out, and in each moment. Uh, am I understanding yeah, I, that correctly? Yeah. I mean, I know that you, like you've interviewed the Dalai Lama and you, you know that you are into the whole sort of spiritual yeah. aspect of things. It's the concept of, of having a practice, mm. you know, of having, whether it's a meditation practice or a martial arts practice or a yoga practice or anything like that, where the, the point is that you go into the dojo every day, yep. you know, and you put your hands together and you bow and you do your thing. And uh, whether you get better that particular day doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, you're certainly not reaching for some uh, some goal, some Academy Award or something like that. You're just trying to, to do it every day. And what you're trying to do is you're really invoking a higher level of reality, right? You're invoking a spiritual, you're invoking the muse or you're invoking the next level, your, your higher self, your better self, whatever it is. Mm. That's why, you know, you take off your shoes when you enter the dojo. And that's why you, you, uh, as they say, leave your troubles outside. And, uh, so to me, one of the, like the idea of, oh, I'm going to finish this book and it's going to sell for a million dollars and I'm going to be, you know, with whatever, buying, you know, whatever. Uh, that is a form of resistance. That idea in your head is a resistance is very subtle way of trying to fuck you up big time you know? <laughs> because it's never going to happen. Yep. You're going to finish the book. It's going to go out there. It's going to nobody's going to even know it exists. It's going to sink without a trace and you're going to be in despair. But if you think of, of it, if, if you're a writer, that this is a practice, this is a lifelong practice. And when you finish book number one, you're going to move right seamlessly on to book number two. And you're on a journey. You're on a journey with your muse or whatever, your higher self, whatever it is. And it's the, the journey is everything. And if success happens, great. 
you know, then, you know, you have to deal with that. But, uh, but the, uh, the idea that it, that it is a, uh, a practice that's an ongoing lifelong practice is very, very helpful to keeping you sane through the, you know, the slings and arrows of all this stuff. And if you're starting on book number one, Michael, remember, think of uh, there's going to be book number two and three, number four. So don't put too much pressure on yourself on number one. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, thank you for that. Um, It was actually one of the things that gave me a bit of solace is, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, is we feel like, you know, there's a tendency, which I'm sure is an exemplification of resistance, to look out and compare, right? Oh, this guy's, you know, in his 20s or 30s or whatever whatever that is and has already hit, you know, and his number one, whatever. But what's interesting is, and one of the things I loved, and and it, it... was what, as I was doing my research on you, was to realize how much effort and commitment you had put in. And, you know, as I understand it, you didn't, you had done a great deal of work, but you weren't even necessarily, uh, as I understand it, making a career off your writing until your 50s. And I mean, you're talking back, Legend of Bagger Band, epic, some epic books, um, but absolutely epic books, but that you kind of came to it later in life. And it was interesting because it evoked for me one of the, one of the uh, another gentleman who I like very much named Rich Roll wrote a tweet that went viral. And, he, huh. and I don't know if you, if you saw it, but he basically was like, uh, and I'm, I may be misquoting here, but he was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get, you know, something like I didn't get sober till my 40s. I didn't write my first, you know, book till I was, you know, in my mid 40s, didn't launch the podcast, huh. blah, blah. And then, you know, and he's now he's in his, you know, he's like, and I'm just getting started. And I was like, I love that because so many people think if I haven't figured it out already, it's too late. And what I'm hearing from you is actually it's not, there's no too late or even too early. It's about the commitment to the journey. And it's not even about the final product. <laughs> it's literally, it's almost like a spiritual practice of committing to the process and showing up to that as an act, as my own words, an act of devotion. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, and I was like, you know, 55, I think, before I had first book published, you know. And yeah. there were many moments along the way. This is really another aspect of what you're talking about, Michael, where um, like I would work in advertising or something like that for a while. And uh I'd save up money and I was going to quit to write another novel that it wasn't going to sell and nobody would, well, I would never get published, you know. And before I would always, I would leave, after I'd put in my notice, my boss would always pull, you know, different bosses would call me into the office and they'd like me and they were friends and they'd say to me, Steve, what are you, you know, why are you throwing away your life like this, you know? Let us, you know, we will, let us give you a promotion, stay here, don't be crazy, da 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 This many times over these, over those long years. And I would sit, I would go home and torture myself and I'd say, you know, they're right, they're right. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm just failing again and again. I'm going nowhere. I'm way too old and blah, 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 blah. But I could never, I could never take that job. Mm-hmm. I always quit. And uh, to write a novel or to write something else. So in a way, it turned out to be almost lucky for me that it took me so long, like Rich Roll, because by the time I finally started having any success at all, uh, I wasn't really, I I wasn't impressed with myself. You know, I was like so far behind the curve that, you know, know, there wasn't anything that I was, you know, I couldn't impress anybody with anything. So I just, and also by that time, and I think this was very lucky for me too, I'd hit so many times hit the wall when I was like 
27, 32, 36, 38, 40, where every rational assessment of what I was doing was that I was just crazy, just out of my mind to do it. And I had to ask myself, why am I doing this, you know? And the answer was always that I just had no choice. You know, if I did anything else, I was going to be miserable. Mm. And that, I think... And as soon as I would start back to doing what I meant was meant to do, I felt a million times better. And I do think that, like you say, the muse flies overhead and she looks down at us each day. And if she sees, she can tell. She can look right into our souls. And she knows if we're if we're futzing around or if we're really committed, if we're really if we're really truly her servants and she can really crack the whip over us and, you know, put us through hell and know that we'll still stick with her, you know? So it all sort of comes down to that question of how much do you want it? Yeah. How important is it to you, you know? Um, how, how, did so you anyway, check, how did you gut check yourself? I mean, there was a story I think I remember reading where you, you, when you decided to turn pro, you went up, I think it was somewhere in central or northern California and like kind of put yourself in refuge, it, it occurred to me. And I think you said something like you'd spent, I think, a couple of years working on a piece that did not wind up becoming a commercial success. And forgive me if yeah, I'm getting got, this wrong. never got published at all. <laughs> exactly. So, but, but what I loved about the frame, what I loved about it was you were like, that was great. And, 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 and most people fear failure. And then if they have a quote unquote failure, however they perceive that, it totally derails them. Where you were almost like, it was just like, that was going to the gym. Like, it was like, okay, I've, now I'm pro, great, now it's on to the next, the next piece. Uh, what was your mindset, or what, how, how could you come to relate to it? wasn't quite that great, Mike. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe at the time. Maybe, I'm, maybe my projection of reading it. But, huh. but I mean, what, what, what led you, when you decided to turn pro, and that piece didn't go anywhere, how did you not, for the value of many people, I think, feel tremendous fear of failure and being derailed by failure. How did you, how were you able to successfully relate to it such that you were able to step on the field another day? Well, it was a little bit different than what you were saying. It was like, uh, I had tried the big thing that used to derail me at the beginning was I could never finish anything. Mm. I'd get right to the one yard line. I'd fumble the ball. You know, mm. I would what psychiatrists call acting out. Right. I would just do something in my life that would just blow everything up. Right. Or and and uh, so when I did go this period you're talking about, I went out to Carmel Valley yep. from New York, you know, in northern California. And I rented a little house for like one hundred and five bucks a month. And I was there for about two years, I think. And uh, just working on this book where, you know, when it was done, uh, I couldn't sell it or anything, but I finished it. Mm -hmm. I finished the motherfucker, you know, (laughs) and that was that was the victory for me because I I, I really had made up my mind that, that you know, I don't know if I really would have killed myself. But if I had failed again, I don't know what I would have done. And so that day I read about this in The War of Art when I finally kind of finished the book and I typed out the end. And, you know, this was back in the days of typewriters, right? Not even computers. Then that was a real victory for me, yeah. even though nobody knew about it, you know, and I had never even thought of the idea of turning pro. That concept wasn't in my mind at all. No concept, no clue mm. in that. But I just knew I finished something. Mm. You know, I'm here all by myself. I don't even have a dog. I did have a cat. But uh but I'm here all by myself. Nobody knows this except me. But but I do know it. I did it, you know. And again, I was broke and I had to I'd go back to New York and work in advertising for another couple of years, you know, before I wrote another one that also didn't sell. 
So, um, you know, it was just, uh, you know, just, I don't know, the process. I just couldn't, I couldn't not do it. What was, what do you think ultimately led you to, through, one, to have the tenacity through those uh, periods where you, you created works that didn't sell, to getting to a place where you, you then, you know, uh, created works that, that sold profoundly and, and you know, be, you know Legend Bagger Vance. It never, really, it never really sold that profoundly. <laughs> okay, got it. Well, you had, you had Matt Damon and it Will Smith, kind of, you know, <laughs> turning your book into a movie, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, but, but, but what led you through the, what led you through, you know, it, was it, you just knew that that was your life purpose? I mean, I don't know a better way to articulate it. Was, it's just like you said, you'd be miserable if you did anything else. Yeah, I just couldn't not do it, you know. But the thing about it is, is that it, it happens. If, if I look back at it now, it was like almost 30 years, I think, where I was struggling. If I'm, somebody had said to me, it's going to take you 30 years, I would have you know, said, forget it. You know? yeah. But it only happens one one day at a time, you know, one one book at a time. So like that time in Northern California, I just knew, you know, I'd saved up 2,700 bucks. lasted me two years. And uh, and um, I was just trying to do this one thing, yeah. you know, and it didn't work, but I, I did get better. I did. I now was a writer who had at least finished a book, yep. you know. So, OK, I've got to go back and regroup and, you know, make some money and I'll try it again. Um, I, I don't know. I, in other words, I don't really know the answer. It wasn't that I had any vision. Um, I just couldn't do anything else. You kept showing up on the field. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a quote, and I'm going to read another one of your quotes. And I, forgive me because I'm, I'm using your voice, but they, I just find them so inspiring. You said, we can't control the level of talent we've been given. We have no control over the nature of our gift. What we can control is our self-motivation, our self-discipline, our self-validation, and our self-reinforcement. What we can control is how smart and how hard we work. And to me... I, I, something about that is everything. You know, it's 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 that notion of you take all the externalities out, and what you can control, and especially I think relevant for this particular time while we're recording this podcast, where so many people feel so inherently out of control in this collective experience around the world of a pandemic. But what we can yeah. control is ourselves. You know, and, and it's hard, obviously, amidst resistance, etc. But I love this because ostensibly it almost, if I were to still it down, it occurs to me as a, a the spiritual practice of self-mastery, which is, 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 uh, which is exactly what it is. Yeah. Exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and, and this notion of, you know, what, what's empowering for me and I think helped me get out of my own way. And uh, by the way, I get in my own way all the time still. But, <laughs> but uh, and it's sort of analogous to a concept from an art, an, an, another author that came after you. But when I was deeply in my shit, when Resistance's voice was very, very strong in my ear, uh, I read a book called Big Magic. You may have read it, I'm not certain, by the woman. Elizabeth uh, Gilbert, Elizabeth right? Gilbert, exactly. Yeah. And it's very analogous conceptually. Um, uh, an another kick in the ass, uh, like, like War of Art, where I, you know, again, my resistance voice, which I've already shared, was very strong. But she sort of, I think in an analogous way, but so somewhat different words, said, you know, 
you know, she obviously had a very successful first book. You know, I don't know if it was her right. first book, but Eat, Pray, Love went yeah. all the, all around the world, right? And that yeah. that encourages for many, you know, to use the music analogy, a lot of people have you know, who had extraordinary hits in their first album have a real hard time making a second album because it's so hard to measure up to that success in your ego's resistance voice, right? Um, and what she said was, you know, it's not about creating the next hit having to be bigger than that. Write a children's book, you know, write, write, like, write something totally different. It's about the fact that the muse, in using your word, kind of floats over. And, and you'll have ideas, and I think many of us have lots of ideas, but it's, it's when you clean the vessel and you show up to do the work that, the again, using your analogy, the muse will work through you. And, and it's not about that having to be as big or as successful in societal terms. It's simply about showing up. And that, to me, at the time, was another necessary kick in the ass to say, all right, I'm just going to show up. And if I do that, uh, and I do it consistently every day, I don't even know what the results are going to be. It, it probably isn't going to look as good financially. It's probably not going to look as good to my ego in terms of social credibility or social acknowledgement and recognition. But who cares, like, ostensibly? Because I was miserable living in the voice of resistance. Uh -huh. so, so let's just fucking show up and see what happens. And honestly, I think I'm still to a degree in that place. But the beautiful piece, and I, I share this for those who may be listening that are stuck in their own sense of, of feeling stuck or caught or not knowing what their purpose is, is that I think the frame that you establish in the context of taking yourself, I mean, in a way it's deeply putting yourself on the field, but it's also taking the self-importance out of it to a degree when you relate to something as a voice of resistance or as a voice of amuse, and you are ostensibly the vessel, and it's just your job to show up so that, they, so that the muse can ostensibly move through you. And forgive me if I'm, if I'm bastardizing your concept in any way, shape, or form, but I, I, just, I felt like it was so integral to my own process of getting over my own shit and, and self-importance or self-loathing or whatever, whatever it was that was getting in the way, that it was, uh, it was, it was such a gift for me. So, but, but can you articulate what it is exactly that is the voice of the muse. I, I know that you talk about the ego and you talk about the self. Maybe that's the first, that's a helpful distinction. But I think this notion of the muse, which to me almost is divine, is so profound. And I'd love, it for, is divine. I'd, I'd love to hear about it in your words because I've, I've gone on a little diatribe and normally I like to listen more than I talk. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks for indulging me. Well, you know, it's... Uh one of the, what's uh, well, a kind of a long story, but if you think about, if you look at, imagine before you a list of Bruce Springsteen's albums. Yeah. Starting from, you know, whatever it was, Asbury, New Jersey, and da da da, all the way down, right? Or, you know, I've, I've, I actually, this is a book of mine, The Artist's Journey. I have a couple chapters like this. And if you look at, or Philip Roth's novels or Beyonce's hits or whatever, anything that looks like a body of work, right, where you can kind of look at book, 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 or album, 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 album. If you look at it as a totality, you can sort of see that there's a, there's a theme to it. There's a consistency to it. You know, all of Bruce Springsteen's albums are really about the same thing. Mm. You know, it's a, it's kind of a lifelong obsession with him. And you, if you ask yourself, well, where did that come from? You know, and the other thing is, if you look at, say, Bruce Springsteen's albums, nobody else could have done those albums, mm. right? 
no one could have done Born to Run. No one, no one would have had that same body of work, you know. And so that, to me, speaking of the muse, that was there when Bruce Springsteen was nine years old. Mm. It was there in the form of pure potential, but it, but it was, you know, it, it, it had no material form, but it was there. Mm. And I'm a believer that everything it, it takes a long time to sort of hit that groove and find that thing you'd sort of do you hit it on the right you go to the left you're short you're long you know but finally you, you you get it a little bit so i really do believe that like i i don't know what book you're working on i don't know what but it it exists already on another dimension of reality mm. it exists in potential and you are the human vessel the human vehicle that's going to bring that into material being Mm. And that's the way I, I, I sort of see it. You know, the muse is uh, the, the muses were nine sisters in Greek mythology, and it was their job to inspire artists. Right. And are you familiar with this, Michael, this whole thing? Uh, please, please break it down for me. I, I, I've I read about it years ago, but I, I, I'm not familiar with it now. Okay, this is because it's great. It's really there were there were nine sisters. They were the daughters of Zeus and Nemosyne. Nemosyne means memory. Yeah. And each one of the nine daughters was in charge of a specific art, like Terpsichore was the muse of dance and Calliope was the muse of some other kind. You know, I'm not sure what they all were, but there were uh, if you ever go to New Orleans, there's a neighborhood that has that all the streets are named after the muses. But in any event, the, the sort of the. There, there are sort of paintings of this where you have the, the artist with a quill pen over his desk, you know, struggling and sweating and whispering in his ears, this floating goddess character, you know. And I, I, that's just, to me, an anthropomorphic way of describing a true, a true uh, phenomenon, mm. you know, that I believe that uh, we live on this material plane and there's another plane above us, the, the plane of potentiality, the you know, the higher self. And that self is trying to communicate to us, you know, constantly. And in, resistance is in between, blocking it. Oh. You know? So we're reaching out to the muse, the neshama, if we want to put it into Kabbalistic terms, you know. And um, by the way, to change the subject slightly and go back to what you were talking about, you can only control what you can control. Let's give a shout out to Ryan Holiday and the Daily yes. Stoic, the whole Stoicism thing, which which was their thing. You know that you can only control what you can control, and don't drive yourself nuts trying to control the pandemic or whatever it is. You all you can do is you know stay at home or do whatever you're supposed to do. But back to the muse, if I haven't lost my train of thought completely, um, I really kind of believe that. Like, if I look back at the books that I've written, mm. I never knew any one of them was coming. Hmm. I never knew I was going to write Gates of Fire or The Legend of Bagger Vance. Never, it wasn't like, oh, I had a plan. I have a five-year plan I'm going to do. You know, the, the muse kind of gave me that assignment. You know, I was, in, you know, like Elizabeth Gilbert. You know, one day you just hit it and, you know, you've got to do this thing. And usually, for me, not only is it a complete surprise, but it's usually the uh, the opposite of what I ever thought I would do. You know, it's like, well, I don't even know about this area. Why am I, you know, but you have no choice but to do it. And when you've done it, then you look back and you go, oh, that was me. That was a kind of a pedal unfolding that I had no idea was there. So I do think we are servants of the muse, whether we're writing songs or movies or books or whatever. 
and that she represents the future. It's it is a divine dimension, and we're you know mortals trying to you know serve that that end. It's like that that quote in the War of Art about uh, eternity is in love with the creations of time, which we could talk about for hours if we wanted to. But that's a higher dimension summoning us to bring something into material being that had never existed before. I I love that notion, and I, and I'm I'm the, the, the almost like God whispering in your ear, uh, and, and and trying to exalt this 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 something that is just needing to be born through you, so to speak. And actually, I think also taking out the ego identification with that having to be your work in a way is liberating. Like one of the things that came up for me as I was thinking about this, so I was like, you know, you, freedom is one of my core values. And what I, one of the things you talk about with the muse is like, if it's not pure art in a way, it's prostitution. And, I, and that really stuck with me. And, but what I, what I, and I, I love your thoughts on this because I, there was almost a paradox in the dance because you talk about, and this is what I love about my sense of you, is you have this Marine Corps show up, do the work, no bullshit aspect to yourself. But then you also have this reverence for the muse, Greek mythology, Kabbalah, like a sense of a commitment to spirit. And, and, and I, I love that dance, especially in the masculine, because I don't see it exemplified that often. But one of the things that I and, and you talk about this a little bit and we can touch on this, uh, you know, there's sort of the hero's journey and the, and the Joseph Campbell sort of follow your bliss. And then you draw a distinction of the artist journey. And I actually think I'm interestingly enough moving from what I would call the hero's journey into the artist's journey right now. Like I feel like I've 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 indulged. It's, it sounds like that, Michael. From what you're saying, it sounds exactly that. That's probably exactly where you are. It, it really it really feels like that. And I feel like I indulged and was out in the world and doing all these things of freedom. And but now I'm I'm interestingly enough seeing if I can share a little bit personally seeing the virtue and value in the discipline and the commitment. So, for example, I haven't had a drink for almost six months. And um, not that I had a problem with alcohol, but I was like, I knew that if I wanted to commit to something I've been thinking about for years, I was like, I've got to kind of let go of some of the things that I like and that are an exemplification of fun, but maybe aren't necessarily the exemplification of what I would call fulfillment, which is that deeper cut or, 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 or perhaps more analogous to the work we've been talking about, a bit more aligned with the higher sense of self, right? So it's like there's a lot of things in this world, uh, to go with the Greeks again, that are hedonistic that I very much enjoy. However, uh-huh. I, also, <laughs> I also recognize that those things didn't necessarily serve me in really taking the deeper cut at what I feel like is me clearing the vessel for the uh-huh. muse the, mu- the muse to uh-huh. m- move through me. Uh-huh. And what's interesting is the perception I had of freedom before was very much about not being tied to anything. And what, I, uh-huh. what served me about your frame is actually this notion of, which is also frankly forced by the universe at this particular period in time, cutting out all the bullshit and literally showing up day in, day out, and seeing in the freedom in the commitment, the freedom in the vessel of just fucking showing up and doing the work. And I feel like it's a total reframe for me. It's something I've known intellectually by reading your work, whatever I did for the first uh-huh. time 15 years ago. 
But somehow, and I'm not saying I exemplify it, but somehow I'm getting it in a different way and stepping into what I think is the first chapter of this artist journey, if, if you will. Well, it certainly sounds like that to me, that you're right at that point. Yeah. Although you seem to, that you've done, you've done the artist journey in other ways, but uh, maybe this is, a, this is a, a closer to your heart aspect that you're getting into now. Yeah, um, I, think, I think so, because, and I, I'd love your thoughts on this. What, what struck me is, uh, I can't remember where I read this, but you said, for example, I've never invested in the stock market. And I don't know if that's still true to this day. But ostensibly, you said the only investment that I, I make is, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is an investment in myself and in the muse, ostensibly. And that was really strong for me because I realized there's lots of areas in which, like right now, for example, I have very uncertain financial future. Many of my partners have checked out. I'm not actually in the fear of it, but I notice when I do get in the fear of it, it takes me away from my muse and the work. And, and what I found helpful about that was the one thing I can control is putting myself in a position to receive, ideally, the muse. And to me, uh, I think... I, I would love to hear your perspective on that because uh, not that I would sort of ask, I don't know if advice is the right word, but do you still, do you sub, do you still subscribe to that theory of I'm not, gonna, I'm not investing in things outside of my control, I want to double down on what I can control, and if so, how, has that, how, how do you think that that serves someone who is committing to this, shall we say, the artist way? Well, you know, I, I think... Freedom. Let me go back to that one. Yeah, please. I don't think that we are free. Mm. I don't think we're even remotely free mm. as human beings, as mortals. You know, I, I think that we come into this world and we are already are a very specific soul. Mm. Maybe we've had previous lives. I don't know. I happen to believe that we have. But we we, we don't have the ultimate freedom to pick you know, who we're going to be. We already are somebody. Mm. This is kind of the concept in the legend of Bagger Vance of the authentic swing, which is that if you're a golfer, you've only got one swing. I can't swing Jim Furyk's swing. And I can't, you know, swing uh, Rory McIlroy's swing, no matter what I do. I've got my own swing. It was there the first time I swung the club and I, and it's indelible. And so I, I don't think we are free. I think that we, we come in as a, you know, we sort of blink our eyes open as babies and go through teenage and all that stuff. And we're really asking ourselves, who am I? Yeah. Who am I? And we try on different identities and they don't fit. Right. And little by little, we finally come down to this this person. And it's like we have an assignment, I believe, from that higher level, from that level of potentiality. And our job is to serve that. And when we do serve that, I think then we are free. But we're sort of free within these these bounds, you know. Yes. So, um, and like, like you were saying, Michael, that you you define freedom as you're not really being attached to anything. And I've for years I've felt exactly the same way. I can get up. I got all my stuff is in my car. I can get up and I can go. Right. But um, but you know it's not true. I don't think you really are not. You're not. You're really yourself until you're finally serving that higher purpose, whatever that is, which to me is very simple. It's just whatever book hits you. Oh, okay, I'm going to write this book or sing this song or create this dance. 
that comes to you, I believe, from a higher level of, of reality. And you're the guy, you're the guy that's got to bring that forth. You know, I can't do what you're going to do. You're the only one who can do it. So uh, I say to you, as you start on this book and the podcast or whatever, God bless you. I can tell by the smile on your face that you're doing where you're supposed to be. <laughs> and but going back to one other last thing, when you're saying the sort of the dichotomy in my stuff between being sort of a blue collar, show up with a lunch pail and do it thing, and then believing in this kind of airy fairy stuff is I don't really think there's a dichotomy there. If you think about the Dalai Lama, mm. if you think about ascending to see, to behold the face of God, right, which is what he was trying to do, and to, to, to embody the divinity within himself, right, as a gift to the world. So how does he do that? He sits down on a little cushion in a room mm. and does, and that's it. You know, so there, so in other words, there's no real contradiction, I think, between just sitting down on a cushion and beholding the face of God. You know, you don't have to fly up to the stratosphere. So, uh, you know, Van Gogh used to like to paint the the guys uh, digging the t potatoes in the fields and the, the, you know, the workers doing their thing, because on some level he kind of saw that that was, you know, that was a form of divinity and that they were serving some some purpose, some higher purpose. Anyway, maybe we're... Maybe we're drawing near to the end of what we're talking about here. Yeah, no, but, uh, I, I think we I, should do this again sometime. We'll move on to other areas. I, I love it. I, I feel like, um, truth, truthfully, um, honestly, I think this is one of the, the, the conversations that uh, I, I, there's so many things that I'm that I'm inspired by that have come from the muse that is your writing. The, the muse exemplified in you putting a pen to paper. And so I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. Uh, you don't strike me as someone who uh, who relishes in uh, in being put on the spot and, and accolades, etc. But I just want to authentically say that whatever the muse has birthed through you has been of great service to me, uh, and I know to many others, but to me. And so I want to thank you for for that. And it will become. It, it's it's kind of that like. Uh, healthy in the marine sense kick in the ass because i feel like when i when I, I notice now and i know you're not a huge fan of social media i notice and i like how you draw the distinction that like social media is like surface level living right and like as a society i think many of us are addicted attracted seduced in that siren sense to getting crashed on the island of of the surface right but yet the work there's a lot of good things in social media but it is by definition it is resistance exactly you know? it's Exactly. It's distraction. It's resistance. Pure. Yeah. Where but thank work. you very much for what you said, Michael. And I can uh, I accept, I appreciate it. And I can also see that what you're doing here with this podcast, this is a great thing too, because I know you're bringing people like me and other people that you want to talk to, and you're bringing their stuff out, letting them articulate whatever it is as a gift to the people who listen to your podcast. And people people need need this, you know. And this is at least this is one part of a body of work that you're doing, you know, and you'll have a nice library. I'm sure you do already of uh, of different playing cards, you know, of which I'm one now. And uh, I think I, I want to validate you. You're doing a great thing for, for the world. So God bless you. Thank you. Keep doing it. And, you know, God, good luck with your book. And remember, there's another one and another one coming after that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Stephen Pressfield, man, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael, for having me. All right.
And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Stephen Pressfield as much as I did. I loved it. And if you got value out of it, please share it with someone you think would really appreciate it. Share it with a few people. Uh, really um, profound insights. And I think so many people are looking to birth their own creative vision. And this could be just what they need to get that motivation, that inspiration to commit. So please send it off to a few friends. Uh, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to bring on world-class guests and grow this community. And please, if you're so interested, uh, give me a follow on, on social at Michael Trainer, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and let me know what you think. Uh, tag myself. You can tag uh, Stephen Pressfield, um, at Stephen Pressfield. And let us know kind of what you got from the episode. Uh, I love interacting with this audience. And, you know, I think there's nothing better than when people reach out. So hit us up again at Michael Trainer at Stephen underscore Pressfield uh, on Instagram. And let us know what you got out of this episode, any questions you may have. And uh, thank you guys so much for being part of this community. It means the world to me. I'm so grateful for you. I hope you guys are staying safe out there, staying inspired, and staying in your creative process. With that, go out there and live your inspired life.